Hello everyone, and welcome to Discussions in Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And this week, we are continuing our beginner-friendly series where we discuss each class for those who are unfamiliar or interested in playing specific classes. This week, we are talking Ranger and Wizard. So, Britton, why don't you get us started and uh, give us the rundown on, wiz- on, on Rangers? Yeah. So, first and foremost, um, Rangers are explorers of the wilds. Uh, they can be wandering travelers that learn and use their studies to protect the wilds and protect those that reside in it. But they can also be thought of as hunters that exploit their surroundings to stalk and attack their prey. Um, I, I tend to think of rangers more in the, the first category um, that are using their surroundings to, you know, I, I guess a little column A, column B. They're exploiting their surroundings because they know how to survive in the wilds. Um, typically, what they're doing is harnessing the power of nature and the natural world to deliver uh, swift and deadly blows to their foes um, to not, you know, rhyme. But um, yeah, tip- typically rangers are uh, staunchly independent folk, um, and they're, they're typically accustomed to roughing it and surviving out on their own. So in a nutshell... These are outlanders who harness the power of nature and the natural world to assist them both magically and physically so that they can best survive out in the world. Now, unlike the two classes that we talked about last week, rangers are half-casters. Now, what I mean by that, the difference between half-casters and full-casters is that half-casters can only cast up to 5th level spells, and they do not have access to cantrips, unless their subclass gives them access to one or two cantrips. Um, But baseline on their own, if they have no cantrips, and they can only cast up to 5th level spells, they are half-casters. Now, you may think that this gives them a severe disadvantage, not having access to 6th through ninth level spells. Now, I want to cast these big spells. That seems a little weaker to me. Well... In contrast to full casters, half casters usually get access to extra attacks or things that uh, features that bolster their attacks and make them more formidable on the battlefield. Now, when you're building a ranger, typically you would like to max dex first, followed by wisdom. Wisdom is going to be your spellcasting uh, ability and dex or strength for whatever type of weapon that you would like to use. Um, they have several different proficiencies, light armor, medium armor, and shields, simple and martial weapons, um, strength and deck saves, and you do get to choose from three skills to be proficient in, from animal handling, athletics, insight, um, investigation, uh, nature, perception, stealth, and survival. So... They have a very wide breadth of skills that you could be proficient in, which I think is pretty cool. You're able to customize your ranger for what type of wilds they have either studied or have grown accustomed to. Um, And I want to talk about, you know, the wilds and what they'd be accustomed to, because that leads right into what I think is the most important thing about rangers. So 
rangers get what's known as favored enemy and natural explorer. So your favored enemy, um, that is something that you get on very early on, I believe, either first or second level. You choose a type of creature, be it aberrations, fiends, beasts, celestials, constructs, dragons, elemental, fey, giants, monstrosities, oozes, plants, or undead. You get to pick from that list. And what that does for you is you gain, you know, a better chance at tracking and hunting these things or recalling information that you know about them. So if your party knows that they're going to be heading into a den of aberrations that are writhing and crawling around and they don't really know how to fight them, if your ranger has has them as their favorite enemy, they'll probably have more information on how to fight them and you may gain a better advantage uh, when you walk into the den, or maybe you ambush them in a certain way. You also get to learn a language that they speak. And as you gain levels in this class, you uh, you get two more. So at, at sixth level, you get an additional favorite enemy, and at 14th level. And you can choose different um, types of creatures. So at that point, you can have, at level 14, you could have three different favorite enemies, learn three languages, and have advantage on all of these types of creatures trying to track them and recalling information about them. The other half of this natural explorer, instead of knowing about creatures, you know about landscapes. So once again, you know, at sixth and 10th level, you get to pick additional favored terrains, but you get to choose a type of terrain, Arctic coast, desert, forest, grassland, mountain, swamp, or underdark. Um, whenever you make, you know, your intelligence or wisdom check, Related to that terrain, um, your proficiency bonus is doubled if you're using a skill that you're proficient in. So while you are in that terrain, you are performing at your best. You have advantage on doing some of these checks on skills that you already are proficient in. And when you are traveling through this terrain, if you know having advantage on skills wasn't enough, you don't get slowed down. Uh, you can't become lost by magical means. You can move stealthily at a normal pace when traveling, alo traveling alone. When you're foraging for food, you find twice as much as you normally would. And when you're tracking other creatures in your favored terrain, you can learn their exact number, size, or how long ago they passed through the area. So if you know a little bit about D&D, or if you've listened to past episodes, we've talked about the three pillars of role-playing in 5th edition. There's combat, role-play, and exploration. Rangers are very focused on exploration, on that exploration pillar, which tends to be left a little bit to the wayside, depending on what DM you have. If you have a DM that loves to explore and have your players explore their world that they've created, rangers are so great for that. Because they have a wide breadth of enemies and terrain that they are comfortable with and have traveled in and tracked all of their skills being proficiency doubled while they're in their favorite terrain, this lends itself for the ranger to be the scout of the group. Um, now, I want to get into some of the really cool spells that I think that the rangers have that are specific to the ranger class. So the first one I want to talk about is Hunter's Mark. That is something that is the bread and butter of rangers. Um, essentially, you are marking a character or marking a... Essentially, you are marking an enemy, and they take additional damage, and they have um, 
you have advantage on you know perception or survival checks to find said creature um that you know if you think of tracking you think of somebody marking an enemy and tracking them down this is basically what that spells for and like i said it's the bread and butter of rangers um another one i wanted to talk about that i thought was really cool was conjure volley essentially what you're doing is you're touching a piece of ammunition that you have in on on your person and you pull it back in your bow and as you fire hundreds of duplicates of the ammunition fall in a volley um each creature you know in a 40 foot radius 20 foot high cylinder centered on a point uh they have to try to get out of the way or they take 8d8 damage of this rain of arrows that are coming down or it could be whatever you use if you're using a sling it's 8d8 of metal pellets that you're (laughs) slinging at these people um and the last one i want to talk about was swift quiver it is a fifth level spell so this will be later game upper bounds of the spell casting that you get to do essentially you get two extra attacks on a bonus action at fifth level you already get another attack so that's four attacks per round as your um as your rangers running around the battlefield just pumping out these arrows and flinging them out everywhere i think that's really cool um i just heard about swift quiver even though it is in the player's handbook apparently i'm have not been paying attention to some of these really cool spells that rangers get um so at third level you do get to choose um your subclass there are three that i want to talk about one is in the player's handbook one is in xanathar's and one is in tasha's cauldron of everything so when you think about a a ranger in the wilds being a master of the wilds typically the beast master subclass comes to mind essentially you are pairing with an animal that travels with you it takes your commands um, you form this really deep bond with it as if you would another person they are your companion in and out of battle um, later on you are able to command it to take different actions in combat um, it can make additional attacks in combat and even at upper levels, you can cast spells that affect you and your animal companion. So essentially what you're doing is creating this bond with this animal. It uh, travels with you all the time. And um, I just think it's really cool that you get to have, you know, an animal companion that fights with you, fights alongside you and becomes essentially another party member. Yeah, that is really cool. And so and what are the limitations of uh, your, your animal companion? I'm sure there's a size limit or maybe it's just beasts. Um, at third level, you know, you choose a beast that's no larger than medium and has a challenge rating of one fourth or lower. Um, so it, it, you don't want to, you know, be paired with a T-Rex or, you know, a Mastodon at third level. It, I think it's intended that you get something small, maybe a wolf or a hawk, something like that. Um, and as you, as it grows older and as it gets, um, more mature it becomes stronger and it grows with you and there's all sorts of really cool uses that you could uh you know pair that with with your animal companion if it's something like a hawk maybe you send it out and do some scouting um get a a good literal bird's eye view of the terrain and maybe if it's something like a wolf you can also use that for scouting purposes on the ground but then if they're a wolf they get that uh pack tactics uh benefit if they're engaged in combat with you yeah, so it really leaves it up to the the ranger who's choosing the animal to decide what sort of benefits they would like in combat or out of combat, um, what sort of things they would like to explore, the, the options that they could explore. 
Now, the second one that I wanted to talk about is my favorite. I had the pleasure of playing this subclass, and that is the Horizon Walker. Essentially, you are a planar warrior. You are someone who can slip in and out of the bond, the the boundaries of the ethereal plane and this one, and are generally on the hunt for rifts or cracks in the in the spaces between different planes. Um, at third level, um, you get to add this planar force to your attacks. Um, you can later just slip into the ethereal plane if you'd like, uh, once per short or long rest. Um, you can also blink after you take attacks. You can just teleport 10 feet and blink around the battlefield. Um, I just think it's so cool, this subclass allowing you to teleport with your attacks. You are on the hunt for these, these planar rifts and things like that. Um, I just had a lot of fun playing it. I, I played a tabaxi ranger named Blink that uh, blunk around the battlefield. And I just it was, it was a lot of fun being able to maneuver myself without having to worry about, um, you know, opportunity attacks or gaining a better vantage and not having to move. Like if I know that I was trying to get up to a higher place, I could attack twice and, you know, teleport up 10 feet and then up 10 feet more and... You know, I, th I just thought it was a really cool, it was thematically very interesting and more unlike the typical ranger. And I wanted to, that was before Tasha's came out. So I wanted to pick a subclass that was not just about the wilderness. Yeah, that and ability to move around back, like that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it, it was really, really fun. Um, and now the last one that I will talk diving back into the wilderness is the Swarm Keeper. So this came out in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Essentially, you are making a magical bond with a swarm, be it insects, twig blights, birds, or even pixies if you'd like. Um, you learn the Mage Hand cantrip, and the Mage Hand manifests itself in the form of your swarm. Um, you are able to, when you hit creatures with an attack, your swarm can manipulate it it can be taking extra damage or yanking it in a 15 foot direction or knocking them prone um, you can also be moved yourself by the swarm so if you're in harm's way the swarm can move you back five feet so you don't get opportunity attacks taken against you um, you can also higher levels you can vanish into your swarm and teleport into a an unoccupied space within 30 feet of you so the swarm protects you and you are the keeper of this swarm um, I think it's just, it's that is a really, really cool uh, subclass. I did get to play a Swarm Keeper for a one-off, um, and he was really gross. Uh, he His swarm <laughs> was spiders. Oh. So he was, uh, yeah, his mage hand was just spiders carrying things with their webs and kind of puppeteering things with his mage hand. Oh, very creepy. Uh, and it, what I think was really cool about this subclass in the book, it, tells you um not they're they're not trying to tell you how to cast your spells but they tell you you know maybe think about how your spells manifest with the swarm like for instance fairy fire was him grabbing a clump of these really shiny spiders that was crawling all over him and throwing it rather than casting a spell he was using his spiders to cast the spell it's just flavor things that make the class seem a little bit more interesting rather than all right i cast this spell it's well how does this happen my swarm you know centers around this person and this happens um 
So you may be wondering, how does this class play? You know, I've never played a half caster or I'm unfamiliar with a person that can make physical attacks and also cast spells. So half casters typically um, that use range attacks and spells, they'll be midline skirmishers. So if you think of frontline, backline, usually they'll be in the midline. Um, rangers typically are ranged. You don't really want to use swords. A lot of the features that rangers get or subclass features that rangers get are centered around using a bow or a crossbow, something that uses ammunition. You get multiple attacks. So often they'll be fighting with the best of them that are on the field and off the field. Like I said earlier, they excel in exploration, tracking, and hunting. Rangers shine in moments of exploration and RP. So maybe if you're not that combat focused or you'd like to be the scout or you'd like to be the information center or the uh, the liaison through a dark forest, since forests are your favorite terrain, you're able to lead people through forests without any sort of problems. Um, if you'd like to be that type of player or character, I would absolutely suggest giving rangers a try. I think they're a lot of fun, especially when you know, you're worried about surviving out in the wilds. Typically, a lot of D&D takes place outside of cities. You know, you're not always just going to sit in Waterdeep. You're not always going to be sitting in Dalibury Quay, big, huge metropolitan areas. A lot of D&D takes place surviving out in the wild. So I think you probably need a ranger on your side. And not just surviving and out that... in the wild, but tracking down your enemies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tracking down the big bad is quite the task but that is my elevator pitch that is my slightly over 15 minute reason why i think rangers are pretty cool all right well that sounds pretty awesome i, I think I'm, I'm gonna have to give rangers a shot uh, at some point in the near future um and i know that was like the most underwhelming endorsement of rangers that i could possibly give. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just soft shoe it in yeah uh Anyways, uh, I'm excited to talk about wizards if you're excited to hear about wizards. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about wizards. I think if, if you have played D&D at all or you've heard about D&D, um, you played literally any uh, RPG uh, in the past, I don't really have to explain what wizards are. Whatever comes to mind, that's exactly what wizards are because they can do a lot of different things, but they are the casters of the group. They are the arcane. Uh, they tap into the arcane and cast these really powerful spells. Why they are so awesome is because they get to cast the most powerful stuff in D&D and the most iconic spells in D&D. Things like Fireball, Counterspell, Mage Hand, Mage Armor, Detect Magic, Identify, Magic Missile, Dispel Magic. They can cast Fly, for crying out loud, Polymorph. They get all of the iconic, big, heavy-hitting spells. If you've heard about D&D at some point, or if you thought about what that means, probably come to mind is some stuff that wizards get to do. So if that excites you, if you're excited about doing all the things that are like the big iconic things to Dungeons and Dragons, wizards is probably a class you want to consider. Um, they even get to cast out of a spell book if you're looking for even more flavor. And to give a bit of a, a side note, um, wizards was a, a, a wizard was actually the very first class that I ever played in my first game of D&D, which was about 20 years ago, if I was doing the math right. And, uh, I, you know, I, apparently I have a tendency to pick the harder classes to play when I'm first 
learning D and D because uh, they they are a bit of a more difficult class. But anyways, um, I was really fascinated. A lot of the spells got me interested in the lore of Dungeons and Dragons of the canon, uh, the world, the canon setting. You know, just looking at some of the names without even knowing what they do, I was interested in them. You know, looking at stuff like Melf's Acid Arrow, Tensor's Floating Disc, Tasha's Hideous Laughter. I didn't even know what those spells were good, and I just was interested in who these people were. Who's Melf? Who's Tensor? Who's Tasha? Uh, why do these people have spells named after them? You know, what are these things? I was just really interested in the lore just based on the spells and names. Um, it is a bit more of a difficult class because you really need to know what all the spells do. Uh, in order to make, you know, intelligent choices because of the way that spellcasting works with wizards. So much like the class itself, if you're going to pick wizards, you're probably going to be doing a lot of reading. Um, they are a full casting class, uh, which means they, you know, they get to cast stuff all the way up to ninth level. Um, they uh, unlock or get to cast second level spells, stuff like locate object, invisibility, suggestion. Once they hit third level... Um, they get some iconic third level spells once they reach fifth level, things like Fireball and Fly and Counterspell, Major Image, Tiny Hut, those are really iconic uh, D&D spells which they get at fifth level. Um, and like I said, they go all the way up to unlocking those extremely powerful game-breaking ninth level spells once they reach the higher echelons of uh, a wizard. Um, the way that spell casting is a little bit different for wizards, they, they copy those spells into a spell book and then prepare them based on that pool, which is different than stuff like a class we discussed last week, Druid, who Druid, they just get access and prepare out of the entire pool. Uh, wizards, they put spells into their spell book and then prepare based on that. So in a way, it's a little bit easier since you only really have to concern yourself with the ones you put in your spell book, but at the same time can kind of screw you over if you don't know what you're doing and you just pick spells that aren't really good. So if you're new to Wizards, it might be best to have someone with a little bit more experience help you out or maybe you, you ask the DM to help you pick things that are, you know, going to be a, a good spectrum of useful spells. Um, but that said, it's it's not any more difficult than um, any of the other classes. You just have to do a little bit of homework up front. Um, now their main stats, Intelligence and Wisdom, they're, they're a, a book you know, they're book smarts, they're, they're, they're studying tomes and reading scripts and finding scrolls, doing the book research. Uh, so mainly they're an intelligence-based caster as that is where their spell DC is going to come from. Uh, proficiencies for wizards, you don't get any armor proficiency. Um, so be aware of that. You're kind of a squishy character. You can't wear armor. The way that armor proficiency works, just as a reminder, if you're not proficient in armor, you can still wear it. You just have disadvantage on all your saves, checks, and attacks that involve strength, and you also can't cast spells. So, kind of, if you decide to wear armor as a wizard, you basically are negating the thing that you're supposed to be able to do. So, keep that in mind, you're almost always being without armor. There are some things that can negate that and kind of uh, make that not such a bad thing. There's things like mage armor. Um, the fact that you're just probably going to be playing for the backlines is... The, the main the main way to avoid taking a lot of damage. Um, you're proficient uh, in, in weapons like daggers, darts, slings, quarterstaffs, light crossbows, things that you would expect. It's pretty common for a wizard to have a dagger on them just in case they get jumped and they need to do some sort of attack. They can at least attempt to do something. That said, you usually don't really have that high of a strength. So if you are attacking with a dagger, be prepared for it to do like one or two points of damage. It's really, you're really not meant to be hitting something in, in melee combat. It's more like, we're going to give you proficiency in this just in case. 
you know, if anything, you probably are, are taking proficiency and taking a light crossbow as your weapon so that if you do need to do some non-magical damage, you can shoot something from a distance. Um, no proficiencies in tools. They do have uh, their, their saving throws are intelligence and wisdom. Um, then the skills that they get proficiency in, you can choose two. Uh, it's things that you would definitely expect, things like arcana, history, insight, investigation, medicine, and religion. Um, most likely you're taking at least arcana, because that makes sense. You're a wizard, you study the arcane. Um, typically what you're going to be doing with wizards is uh, asking about you know, the sigils on the wall or this script. Does this have any sort of magical nature to it? And your dungeon master is going to say, okay, we'll make an arcana check. So you're probably taking proficiency in arcana and something else, depending on what kind of wizard you want to play. Um, maybe you're taking somebody that's more investigative or, you know, has a, a deep, a deep knowledge of, uh, history of your region. Um, so it really just depends, but most likely you are at least taking arcana. Um, now a little bit about the, the subclasses of wizards and, and why you would, uh, pick, you know, any of these, uh, really, um, I think just based on what I've experienced, even the base player's handbook subclasses, uh, or what they call schools of magic, are pretty interesting and, and pretty good. Definitely not to be overlooked. We've got all these expansions uh, for uh, D&D 5th edition. We have Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Um, you know, we recently had one set in an entirely different world, the Explorer's Guide to Wildnot, which had some additional things. And I think we still, at least with Wizards, shouldn't be overlooking the player's handbook schools of magic because they're pretty cool and do some really cool and powerful things um so i'm going to talk about my three favorites that's not to say the other ones aren't as good it's just these are the ones that stick out to me um we have the school of conjuration which some of the cool things that you can do with this school um is you get to create an inanimate object it's non-magical it does give off dim light indicating showing that it was created magically um this inanimate object that you create just as something that you can do uh, lasts for up to an hour. So there's a lot of really cool creative things that you could do with that. Maybe you create a piece of gold and, you know, you bluff somebody into thinking that it's actual money. Um, there's so many different cool things that you can do with that. Um, once you get to later level, sixth level with this school, you can just teleport 30 feet as an action for free. Uh, or you can spot places with a, a willing creature, um, which I think is really cool. It's something that I um, can see many different uses for, both, you know, in and out of combat. Maybe you are... Uh, suddenly surrounded in combat and need to quickly get out of there uh, without inducing an attack of opportunity. Um, well, you can you can, you can do that with this school of conjuration, just being able to teleport thirty feet away. Um, the school of divination, I think, is really cool too. Um, one of the things you get to do early on is at the start of the day, you roll two d20s and you mark down those numbers, um, and then any time that you uh, are making an attack roll, a save, or a check, or someone else you, you can see can, is doing that, you're going to say, well, I want to use this d20 that I rolled ahead of time because I know it's really good and this is an important roll. And you have to do that before you see the roll, so you can, you know, hopefully you roll good. That's the, the downside is maybe you just rolled two uh, natural ones and you're kind of out of luck, but... Um, Maybe you roll really good and you're like, well, this is a really important roll that I'm making. Let's use that instead. Um, so I think getting that, you know, quasi advantage is really powerful. Um, at sixth level with this school, uh, you can regain lower level spell, slot, spell slots when you cast divination spells, uh, which I think is really powerful. Being able to refresh your spell slots. 
Um, and then later on at 10th level, you can, you know, uh, choose one of uh, several different abilities that you get for that day, such as uh, gaining dark vision to 60 feet if you don't already have it, being able to see into the ethereal plane, uh, being able to read any language, which I think for wizards, for somebody that's going to be doing some investigation and, you know, inquiring about arcane nature of things, the ability to just read any language, um, I think is going to come in pretty handy, especially for languages that are maybe less common, under dark, under common, uh, thieves can't. You can just, at 10th level, choose to be able to read it. Um, or the other ability that you can uh, choose with this school at 10th level is see invisibility, another incredibly useful uh, ability. Um... The last of the player's handbook schools that I wanted to talk about is the School of Enchantment, which this one's really cool. Um, one of the early effects you can do is uh, you can charm a creature with your hypnotic gaze. You know, they do have to make a save just like any uh, charm effect. Um, but if they fail, they are, are considered charmed. Um, I was reading this thinking like, oh, it's kind of like Jafar in Disney's Aladdin. Getting to do the, you know, the twirly eyes thing and charming somebody, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Um, at 10th level, you can uh, use an enchantment spell that wouldn't ordinarily target one thing and instead just have it target two things. Um, so kind of doubling up on your enchantment spells that target a creature. Uh, so very cool. I, those are the three um, player's handbook schools that I wanted to mention. Uh, this is on top of all the iconic stuff that you can do with wizards. All those really cool spells that I already talked about. Um, there are a few honorable mentions in other sources, um, most notably the uh, one of the ones in Tasha's and one of the ones from uh, the Wildmount source. Uh, in Tasha's, we have one that I, I think is interesting, the Order of Scribes, um, which lets you, you know, this is your, your really typical nerdy bookworm kind of wizard, um, where you're just so in tune with your spellbook that you get to create an awakened version that lets you do some really cool things like change the, changing the damage type of some of your spells. Um, and at later levels, using this Awakened Spellbook to project your mind and uh, use it to kind of like spy in on things and cast spells from this projected mind. Um, there's a couple in uh, the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which are really interesting. We have the Graviturgy and Chronergy Wizards. And uh, these are really cool. Graviturgy deals with the manipulation of gravity. Uh, I'm pushing and pulling with these different gravity wells, um, increasing and decreasing a creature's mass and with the interesting effects that that could have. Uh, in Chronergy, uh, as you can probably guess from the name, it is dealing with the manipulation of time and different threads of possibility. So we're talking about uh, manipulation of dice rolls, what they are, when they might go off. And I put these in, in the honorable mention category because... Uh, with the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, with these two uh, subclasses of wizards, they're really based around this specific thing called Dunamis, which is uh, native to the world of, of Wildmount. So depending on your DM, if they decide that, hey, that doesn't really matter, we can just include these classes anyways. You know, maybe these are some subclasses you want to explore, but if they decide, uh, actually, we're going to stick to the book and say that Dunamis isn't a thing that's in my world, um, Dunamis is specific to Wildmount, so those are off the table. But they are really cool nonetheless. Now, uh, generally speaking, the play style of Wizards, as I kind of alluded to earlier, you don't get to wear armor, which kind of not so great. But that, So that means you're typically playing from the back lines, um, unless you're this strange subclass of wizard called Bladesinger, which we're not talking about today. They are more of a melee wizard, which is kind of weird. Uh, however, you're typically playing from the back lines. You almost always have the lowest hit points of the party. 
uh, because you're you have the lowest hit die, so you're never really rolling that high. Uh, you've got probably the lowest AC because you can't wear armor. Um, you're likely not proficient in it. So low hit points, no armor, low low armor class. Uh, you don't want to be up in the middle of combat, up in the mix, without very, very good reason. So typically you're casting ranged spell attacks, ranged spells from the back lines. Um, you're probably uh, out of combat using your knowledge of the arcane to discern the nature of different items or symbols or lore of the world. Um, your party is probably going to you often for usage of your identify spell. It's a very iconic spell and extremely useful, uh, which lets you identify the nature of magical items. Um, maybe you've got a whole treasure trove of stuff, a whole pile of stuff. Identify is one of those cool spells that you can cast as a ritual, which means you don't have to burn a spell slot to do it. You just use your uh, the fact that you've practiced this spell so many times um, and cast it as a ritual. You don't have to burn a spell slot. You just take a little longer to do it, and you can just identify a whole pile of items and figure out what they do, what what they what they can't do, what they what the bonuses on them are are. So you don't have to sit there for an hour and attune to it. Um, and then when all else fails, when you don't know what else to do as a wizard. You cast Fireball. Because that's what wizards do, is they cast Fireball. So you've got all these iconic things that you can do with wizards. I think they're really cool. They do the most powerful things. Um, they aren't the only class that gets the Wish spell opened up to them. But they can cast Wish later on as one of their most game-breaking things that they can possibly do. They have things later on like Time Stop, uh, which is a whole other set of broken things. Um, but they are truly an iconic class to D&D. If you've ever thought about D&D, heard about it, heard someone talking about it, there's chances are there's a certain set of things that you've that immediately come to mind. Maybe it's a a big hefty uh, barbarian swinging a great sword. Um, maybe it is uh, you know fighting this great winged beast that's breathing fire down upon you and eventually getting this big trove of gold because you're kind of thinking about Lord of the Rings or something like that. Or maybe it's you know, it's the Merlin wizard. It's the guy with the the big floppy hat and long blue robes and the big beard that casts out of this old dusty spell book that the pages are kind of crumpling. That's definitely what wizards are. It doesn't have to be exactly that, but wizards are so iconic that I don't think I need to explain exactly what they are. And you just kind of have a sense of what they are. They do all the cool iconic big things in D&D. &D, and uh, I think that's about all I can really say about wizards. They're, they're, they're really cool and you should give them a shot. Yeah, like you said, they're iconic to D&D. Uh, &D. They're bound to be everywhere. Generally, every campaign has at least some sort of full caster that can't wear armor, be it a you know a sorcerer, which we're going to talk about, or a wizard. You know, I think that um, what they may lack in combat uh, in terms of AC and health um, and maybe sustainability, they do make up for in the absolute breadth of spells and features that they have and having i think they actually have like the most spells out of any class that can learn spells uh that don't just prepare from a list they have the most widest breadth of spells that they can cast oh, and yeah. i think it's really cool that you know for a, for someone who is dedicated their entire life to the studies of the arcane they should be able to have that they should be able to know as many spells as possible oh yeah absolutely if you go into the player's handbook if you go to the other sources xanathar's and tasha's uh and compare spell list yes it is true that druids get to prepare from their entire list 
But the number, the list of spells for druids is comparatively quite small if you look at uh, the amount of spells that wizards uh, have available to them. Not right away, but as you're leveling up, the amount of spells that you can choose from to add is just so much, so much bigger. Um, they can truly do a lot of things, including all those big iconic spells. Magic Missile, one of the coolest ones. It's guaranteed damage, which is probably going to be another go-to for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, anyways, that's about it, I think, for this week. I hope you guys got really excited about Rangers and Wizards. Um, I certainly, Wizards for me is definitely on my list, my, my list of classes I think about when I'm thinking about what I want to play next. Um, I think Rangers probably are up there too now. So, enough rambling about Rangers and Wizards. That's going to be our show for this week, guys. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please be sure to check out our future episodes, which we release every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central. Uh, next week, we're going to continue this beginner-friendly series uh, on an introduction to classes, and we'll be talking about Monk and Bard. This has been Discussions and Dragons. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And we'll see you next time.